if you're here last week, you will have heard that we just started a little mini-series. It's going to go on for, not for ages, but for a few weeks. And we're looking at worship, thinking about worship. And uh, I have found, I have to say this last week, this has been, a re- I find this a really difficult talk to prepare. And I, I wonder if part of the reason for that is worship is something, certainly if you've been around this church, I think, I hope if you've been around any church for a little while, you, you spent a lot of time doing and sometimes it's those things that are most familiar to us, that when someone says, why do you do that? It's actually, do you ever find it's actually quite hard to explain why? You, you know why, kind of, but you have to sort of stop and really think it through. So um, partly that reason, partly the, when you start to open up the scripture and see how much there is about worship in here, it's very hard to think, okay, gosh, there's so much to say. What are we going to focus on? So I want to take you to a passage that has reminded me, again, of why we worship, what it is we do when we worship, why it's, why it's for us as a church our highest priority, uh, and why for us as, a, as the people of God it, it always needs to be the highest priority. And to look at the passage effectively as we read it, we're going back in time, about 2,000 years, to a city called Philippi, and to Paul, the apostle, and his little team that was there in Philippi. And uh, Paul's life, at some stage, someone needs to invest millions into turning it into a, a film because it is, it, it's got the material. I mean, it is dramatic. Um, there's a twist and turns left, right, and center. Um, one of the things that defined Paul's life, he says, um, he says all I know is that wherever I, wherever I go, the Holy Spirit tells me that riots and imprisonment face me. Can you imagine if the Holy Spirit gave you that as a word for your life? Woo-hoo! Um, but Paul, Paul does find that. And so he ends up in Philippi. He's had a vision to go over to Macedonia to share the gospel with the people there. And it starts off going pretty well. So he, he, he shares the gospel. A lady called Lydia, who's a, a businesswoman, ends up becoming a believer. And, uh, and then this happens. So this is Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by her fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. I just love that. that Jesus is moved with compassion and casts demons out of people. Paul just gets, he's just doing his nut. You've been annoying me for four or five days now. I'm going to cast this spirit out of you. I don't know what that says about Paul, and I have no point to make. I just thought it was interesting. Anyway, so he casts the spirit out, and it says, at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. 
The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they end up leading him to the Lord that night, baptizing him, his whole family become uh, followers of Jesus, and they joined the new little church that started in Philippi, which was the most wonderful mix of people. You've got Lydia, the businesswoman, probably a slave who just had a fortune-telling spirit cast out of her, and then the jailer, who's the head jailer in Philippi, all in this little small group together um, because of Jesus. But uh, anyway, I was rereading this, and You know, our lives are probably not as dramatic as Paul's was, but all of us have points, and we have had points where it's it's gone wrong, where things have gone wrong. Sometimes that that we see it coming, oftentimes we don't. It sort of hits you out the blue, a bit like Paul. I think, you know, he knew that riots were going to happen at some stage, but when it happens, because he cast a demon out of somebody, I imagine having been so encouraged about how it was going, he, you know, he was taken by surprise at how quickly it went badly wrong. And it's helpful, I think, to recognize that not all prisons have walls and locks and bars. There are all sorts of things that trap us in life and things that we are are captured by that we don't know how to escape from. And for some of us, what that is, is that's what happened to us when we were growing up. We had some some trauma. We had some horrible experiences. And, And even now, even sometimes years later, we're still haunted by those things. And we think we've moved on, we think we've found healing, and then something else happens, and, it, and we react again, and we realize, I'm still in the process of trying to deal with some of that. So for some of us, our, um, our, our challenges are around relationships. We end up trapped in relationships that are dysfunctional, or trapped in a relationship that we hoped it would be this. I hoped my relationship with my kid was going to go like that, or I hoped this friendship was going to be like this, and it, somehow it's... It's just, it's just turned sour, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to break free from that or change it. For some of us, we end up trapped because we had a plan for our lives, a dream of what it was going to be like, and, and now here we are, and it's, it's like that plan has just turned to dust, and we don't know how to get back on track. For others of us, I think we end up trapped because of a constant sense of inadequacy. We're trapped by our insecurity, We know that fear has a handle on us, and we don't know how to shake it. We've watched all the TED Talks. We've tried to do the five things they told us to do to be brave, and we're still finding it's got more of a handle on us than we'd like. For others of us, it's it's worry and it's anxiety. Kate Middleton's talk on on Wednesday night was packed, because for so many of us, that's, that's something we live under, the weight of worry. For others of us, it's health. And I know for some, it's grief. Things that have happened that are horrendous, and we don't know how to get out of it. So all of us have our own version. Maybe we're not locked in an inner cell of a literal prison, but we have things that hold us and trap us. What is your version of a Philippian jail? How did they respond? So what did Paul do? Given this is a talk about worship, you probably know which verse I'm going to be concentrating on if you've heard the passage before. So it says... Chapter 16, verse 25, about midnight. I love that it gives us that little detail, about midnight, the darkest night, like the, 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 the height of darkness, about midnight. What are they doing? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. 
Now, what I'd be doing in their situation is, okay, so I've been thrown into jail. I would be trying to cut a, a deal with uh, the jailer. I will, I will dob in my fellow believer, the guy that was formerly the senior pastor of Soul Survivor Watford. I'll give you all the dirt you want. Just let me out. Um, or it would be something like, you know, contact Amnesty International, get people signing petitions on your behalf, or watch a YouTube video on five simple ways to break out of a jail cell. Do something to sort it out yourself is kind of my approach to those kind of problems. And so I have to, when I see this, I have to stop and think, well, hang on a second, what have Paul and Silas got that I have missed? They're praying and singing hymns. So what do they understand about that that I clearly do not? Because that's not what I'd be doing if I were in their particular place. And, um, and I think one of the things that they get, one of the things that's important for us to understand is that they're singing hymns in this moment not because it's a way of getting out of jail. Um, they're not singing hymns because they're in prison. They're singing hymns because they're his people because they're the Lord's people. And wherever they were, whether they were in prison or out of prison, we would find them singing hymns and praying to him because they understand that what we're invited into with God, it is a love affair. It's, it's a relationship of love. Christianity, you've probably heard it said so many times, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And what we can end up thinking mistakenly is that what God really is interested in is he wants us to do things for him. You know, he wants us to work for him. And that's like thinking that I had four kids because I want them to do things for me. Had that been my plan, I can tell you now, it's hugely backfired. I can't get them to do things for themselves, let alone do things for me. And so it's, it's like, no, no, I didn't have them so they could be my little minions. I had them to enjoy them to celebrate them for a mutual relationship of love. Why do you think he had us? Why make us? Why save us in the way that he did? For relationship, for love, for mutual affection and enjoyment. It's not that we don't work with him in the building of his kingdom. Of course we do. But first and foremost, it's for relationship, to enjoy it. And it's so easy to lose that. It's so easy for that, that central part of what we're for with him to slip away from us. Um, one of my hobbies, it doesn't sound quite right when I say it like this, but there's no other way of saying it. One of my hobbies is whiskey. So I, I, I like whiskey. I drink it appropriately, but I like it. And if you've ever had a glass of whiskey, you'll know that when you take a sip of whiskey, it's like this wave of warmth just kind of goes through your body. You feel like you're warming up. Um, somebody once told me that scientifically, what is happening when you take a sip of whiskey, I don't understand why, but what is happening when you take a sip of whiskey is that your blood vessels, they dilate and they, they go to the surface of your skin. So what's happening when you drink it is you feel like you're warming up, but you are in fact losing heat. You feel like you're warming up, but you are in fact cooling down. And I wonder if it's possible for us as we, as we pursue God to have seasons where it feels like we're really warming up. Um, I know for me, those seasons where I feel like oh, I'm really going for it now are when I'm busy, when I'm really busy. And actually, is it possible for us to get super busy doing a whole load of things and yet be, in fact, cooling down? There's um, a little line from a, a C.S. Lewis thing where he says, do you know what? Sometimes we imagine that we are finding our place in the world. When we get to certain points of life, we manage to get on the property ladder. 
or we manage to have a career, or we achieve another ambition that we've been after, we're finally making it, we're finally finding our place in the world. He says it's possible to imagine you're finding your place in the world, when in fact what is going on is the world is finding its place in you. And you're becoming less enamored by him and more caught up in this other stuff. And I used to think, yeah, of course that can happen to any of us, but it's probably not going to happen to me. Um, and I remember there was a time when I was preaching, no less, and I was talking about how our relationship with him is a love affair. And as part of that, I was just saying, one of the things that's helpful to do sometimes is just to remember what it was like in the early days. Do you remember when you came to know Jesus for the first time? What was it like in those days? What did you used to do? And I was talking to a bunch of students um, when I did this. And so I said, I remember when I had become a Christian at 17, then I came here for a bit. Then I went off to university. And, and these were the early days of my relationship with God. And, and I used to, as a student, I used to try and find any excuse to spend time with him. So I would get up really early in the morning, which for a student is about 10.30 a.m. And I would, I would go to a field where there was this tree. And I would just walk round and round the tree. And I would worship. I would sing. I cannot sing for toffee. But it didn't matter because no one else was there. So I, I would sing to him. And I would pray, and I would, I would find every day a little spot where I could try and read my Bible, and I would savor him. I would go to church twice on Sundays and hear the same talk twice, but I didn't care because I just wanted to be near him. And I, was just, uh, and I was just saying to him, this is what I used to do. And then as I was explaining, honestly, it felt like someone slapped me on the forehead because even as I'm saying it to them, I, I suddenly felt like basically the Holy Spirit asked me the question, and when was the last time you did that, Andy? You, you know, I've been running around like I had this chicken for the last six months telling everybody else about Jesus. And it was like, when was the last time you actually just sat with him to enjoy him, to be with him? And I realized it had been, it had been a long time. And I, I put that for all of us, and it, maybe this isn't where you're at, but for each of us every now and then to just ask the question, when was the last time we just enjoyed him, just to enjoy him, just to be with him? Um, you know, the, the story of the prodigal son I love it because the son comes home having, you know, wasted his life and, uh, and he tries to cut a deal with the dad and says, I want to be a servant. I'll be a worker and you can pay me some wages. And the father's like, no, you are my son. You're my son. So you're going to come in the house and we're going to have a party and I'm going to enjoy you because this is what it's all about. It's about enjoying him. There's uh, one of my heroes, a guy called Brother Lawrence, and he, um, he, he's a monk back in the day. He became famous because he wrote a little book about practicing the presence of God. And what he tried to do wherever he was, whether he was doing the washing up or doing the weeding, is he would always try and just consciously be aware of God and just enjoy his presence. Um, and I remember hearing a story about when Brother Lawrence died. And um, somebody said to him as he's dying, uh, you know, in the bed, they said, what are you doing, Brother Lawrence? And Brother Lawrence said, I'm doing the same thing I've been doing for the last 40 years. And I'm doing the same thing I'm going to be doing after I've died. I'm worshipping. And I loved it. And it made me chuckle as well because I thought, Brother Lawrence, literally, in that moment, dying is the second thing on his agenda. The number one thing on his agenda is worship, is being in God's presence. I thought, man, I'm never going to be like that. But I want to be a bit more like that than I am. So it's about what they're doing. They're singing hymns. Why? Because they're in prison? No, because there is people. But secondly, um, how are they enjoying him? I just want to home in on the fact that it says they were singing hymns to God. The two of them together were singing hymns to God. Now that is really, really practical. It's really tangible. 
And we can think, one mistake we can make is to think that worship is only singing. No. And we're going to talk about that next week. But the other mistake we can make, and this is the one that I feel like I've made too much over the years, is we can dismiss the place of singing in worship. And it's not just about singing. We can dismiss the place of a particular moment of devotion before him. And what we see throughout scripture is people sang to God. So when they, when, they, when they were set free from slavery, they went over through the Red Sea and they emerged on the other side. They sing a song of victory. They sing a song of celebration. Just before Moses dies and before the people enter the promised land, what he does is he teaches them a song. Um, Israel's greatest king, David, was also Israel's most prolific songwriter. Her greatest warrior was her greatest worshiper. Um, the book of Psalms is the longest book in the Bible and it's a songbook. It's just full of songs. The book of Revelation, what it shows us is this picture of heaven. And in heaven, they're singing. They're, they're, they're expressing their, their adoration of God. They're declaring truths about him. The early Christians, when they met together, they were encouraged to sing. So it says in Ephesians chapter 5, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one, one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So worship is more than singing, but singing has a place in our worship. And I, I always think of it as um, this, this video I saw on YouTube of this guy. You know how people do these elaborate proposals these days, and they film them, and then they put them on YouTube? Well, I love watching that stuff. And so I watched this proposal where this guy did this amazing proposal to his to his hopefully fiance, she says yes. And the thing that I can't get out of my head from that video is her response. So literally, she is jumping up and down. It's in front of a whole crowd of people. She's leaping up and down. She's jumping. She's punching the air. And then she runs and jumps, you know, grabs him and hugs him. And just, she's basically saying, yes, 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 yes. And I kind of imagine a little bit worship, the fact that it's our response to his love is a little like that. Like, he is, if I can put it like this, proposing to us. He's, he's inviting us into a relationship that lasts forever and a relationship defined by love. And what, what we do when we worship is we say, yes, yes, yes. We, we re yes, I would love to know you. I want to celebrate who you are. I rejoice in who you are. Um, I remember chatting to this guy, a friend of mine, who works with the persecuted church. And he was telling me about a time that he went away to a country where Christians are persecuted and they have to do everything very um, on the down low so that they don't get caught. And he was given instructions. When you get to your hotel room, you will see a guy waiting for you in the corridor. Follow him. So it's all very sort of James Bond. So he, he turns up at the hotel door. Sure enough, there's a guy there. The guy just says, um, come with me. And they go down and they get on a motorbike. And my friends got on the back of this motorbike and they went for a three-hour ride through the jungle. And eventually, they get to this little hut that's right in the heart of the jungle. And in the hut, there's a small group of believers who've all come from all over the place. And what they did together is they sang hymns to Jesus. And Eddie, my friend, shared a word with them about, do not give up the habit of meeting together. Um, I met another Christian. She was from North Korea. And North Korea, if there's a scale of persecution, it's the number one worst place to be. She became a Christian and she was put in a, a, a concentration camp in North Korea that was about re-educating her. But she ended up leading a bunch of the other prisoners to Jesus in the camp. 
And um, they would have worship meetings. And the place they had their worship meetings was the toilet. The reason she said they went to the toilet is because the toilet was horrendous. It was disgusting and it stank. And she said they went to the very worst part of the worst toilet because they knew the guards didn't want to go there. The guards didn't want to have anything to do with that particular bit. So that's where they would go. And they would be in that place together and they would worship. They would sing hymns to Jesus. So I'm looking at Paul and Silas here in this jail cell and hearing about these people in the jungle or these people in a concentration camp. They get together and what they're doing is they're expressing their love to him and they're using song for that. Why do we sing? Well, it's like trying to ask, why is a love song? Why does it hit you in the heart and in the belly? Sometimes there isn't a rational reason other than because you want to, because how can you not? So that's part of what it is to worship and that's what we're doing. Next question, what happens when we do this? So one of the things that happens is we worship God in this way, I believe, is that we fall more in love with him. We fall more in love with him. Um, I had this experience yesterday morning where I had set my alarm much earlier than I wanted it to go off, but I had decided I am going to go to the gym in the morning. I don't know if you've ever had it where the night before you're like, I will be disciplined tomorrow. And so you, you set your alarm, and then, of course, it goes off the next morning, and you wake up, and do you feel like going, or do you feel like being disciplined? Maybe some of us leap out of bed and think, yes, now is the time. But for most of us, you're probably like me, and you just go, snooze. And then you lie there, having an internal wrestling match. Do I get up, or don't I get up? And I was lying in bed, thinking, weighing it up, thinking, oh, I really don't want to get up. I'm so tired. It's raining outside. It's cold outside. Do I want to go to the gym? And I'm thinking, but I've got four boys. If I don't go to the gym now, I'll never get there. And also, if I don't go to the gym, I am going to go crazy. That's where I get it all out. So I'm weighing it up. And then I also thought, oh, gosh, the, the clock is ticking here. And one of them, because they get up really early, one of them's going to be awake soon. And when one of them wakes up, it's going to be 50-50 about whether it's me or Beth who has to look after them. But if I go to the gym, it's 100% going to be Beth who has to look after them. So that was the thing that pushed me over the edge. I'm going. So I, I got out of bed. I went to the gym. And I'm in the gym. And I'm just doing the, just the naffest workout. I just can't be bothered. I'm just like lifting a weight. I'm like moving the weights around the gym. You know, like not really doing much. Put some music on. I'm not really feeling it. But I just, I just stayed there anyway. And I just kept going for a bit. And I was in there for about half an hour. And then I was on a treadmill. And suddenly, halfway through this run I was doing on the treadmill, I suddenly thought like, Oh, I'm quite enjoying this. I'm feeling this. I feel healthy. I feel impressed with myself. And I and now I turn the music up louder. I thought, I'm going to go for this. I'm starting to sweat. This is great. And then it hit me as I was running, um, you know, quite hard towards the end of this little run out. I was saying, I thought, huh, I didn't want to do this, but somehow I've worked my way into wanting to have a workout. That's how it's happened. And we're living at a time when great weight is placed on our feelings and our emotions. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. And we, we, want, we want to be authentic to our feelings. The only problem is, if we only do things when we feel like doing them, there are certain things we'll never do. And if we only worship when we feel like worshipping, we won't worship very much. The lesson I learned yesterday morning in the gym is that you can act your way into a feeling far more easily then you can feel your way into an action. It's like if I choose to do this, then the feelings follow. And so it is with worship. How many of us, when we arrive on a Sunday morning, feel really excited to worship God? 
There may be some of us here, but probably many of us are just excited we made it here. You know, I walked through the door. And yet we leave here having encountered him and we're different. And part of that is because his word has been proclaimed. Part of that is because his spirit has fallen. It's also, though, because we've worshipped, because we've put our eyes on him. We've declared to him and to one another the truths of who he is. And as we act in that way, as we choose to do that, then we ourselves are changed. Our feelings follow our actions so often. So we choose to do it as a discipline. And then what happens is, as we fall more in love with him, because we see him for who he is, then we change. And that, it's that way round. We see him and then we change. And I, I used to think the way you change your behavior is by trying really hard. And eventually I realized that was not working for me. I remember my mum used to just nag me all the time when I was a teenager. Tidy your room, tidy your room, tidy your room. And I never did it. And then I fell in love at 16. And she was coming over. And you know what? I tidied my room. It's because you're in love. You want to change. We want to change to please the one we love. As we worship, we fall more in love. As we love him, we want to please him. So I look at all these gaps in my own journey with God and I think, I don't have faith for that. Well, worship my way into it. I can worship my way into that. You know, I'm struggling in this area. I can worship in the middle of it and I'll see what he does. I'm, I'm losing my perspective. Well, I can worship and it will come back to me. I'm, I'm captured by worry. I can worship and I'll see him again and then it'll be better. It'll be easier. We can worship our way into those things we long to grow into, not because there's something magic about worship, but because what worship does is it lifts our eyes to him and he changes us. He transforms us. So we change, and here's the final thing. It's not just about us. So Paul and Silas, it says, um, they're praying and singing hymns about midnight. And do you see the next bit? And the other prisoners were listening. The other prisoners were listening. Why? Because they're there in a jail cell, and they see these two people in the high security wing of the jail with chains around their feet who are free. They see two prisoners in the middle of the jail who are somehow free. And worship, it witnesses to the world around us, whether we realize it or not, because people come into this place and they see us and we have all the same struggles as everybody else. We're living in the same world. We went through the pandemic. We're struggling to pay our bills. We've got all of that, but we lift our eyes to him and we declare the bigger truth, the greater reality, which is Jesus Christ is Lord of all and he's good and he's kind. And they see that somehow Though we travel through this world, we are not trapped by it. They see freedom. And then, of course, what happens is when God is exalted, he cannot resist. He moves. He loves to. He, 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 at the best of times, it's not hard to persuade him to do something. But so often when we worship, it's like, it's like he moves in power, as he just did, which wasn't the plan. Earlier, uh, you know, when we were worshiping together, he just... He just as it were, showed up. He was here, but you know what I mean? It's like he showed up. And what happens is there's just an earthquake. Coincidentally, as they worship there in the prison, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now, if it were me and I were God, I would say, oh, look, down there in that jail in Philippi, there's two of my followers. 
faithfully worshipping, despite the fact that they're in chains. I am going to send a very specific earthquake that will open their prison door and that will break their chains off. But the Lord doesn't do that. There's two people in the middle of a prison worshipping, and the Lord sends an earthquake that bros open everybody's prison door and everybody's chains come off. And I think one of the things that that speaks to is that when God's people are in a place and where they're lifting up his name, and I'm talking about in this building and I'm talking about with us as a family, but I'm also talking about in the school that we work in, I'm talking about in the street that we live on, I'm talking about the family that's your family. We ask ourselves the question, what difference can we make? Can we make any difference to these problems? I don't even understand half of these issues, so how can I have the answers to them? I've been trying year after year after year to see these changes in that place, and it hasn't happened yet. So somebody give me a practical thing that I can do that will bring change. And I say one practical thing we can each of us do is worship in the middle of it. Worship him and honor him. And I don't understand why. I can't draw you a diagram and a formula that explains it. But what I know is that when we worship, other people's chains come off. And other people's prison doors get broken open. And if there is a time for the church to realize that truth, it is now more than ever. Other people get set free. This is a little bit of why we worship. We're going to talk a little bit next week about the fact that worship is, of course, more than just singing songs. But let us never downgrade or dismiss what we do when we gather together as the people of, the people of God to pour out our love to him and to enjoy his love of us. It's the most precious thing we can ever do. And from it, everything else flows.